0: Shabbat Shalom. My name is Ephraim Judah with Lion and Land Ministries, and thank you for joining us for our Air of Shabbat broadcast here on TV. And Shabbat Shalom to you in any way you might be watching, whether that's to you folks on Facebook Live, on our mobile app, or any one of our television apps. We thank you for inviting us into your home each and every week to celebrate the Sabbath with us, hearing from the Word of the Lord, worshiping together, and uh, celebrating with the Kiddush. Right now it is February 7th uh, here in the ministry. We're uh, underway here into the year 2020 and uh, continuing to look for ways to serve uh, you, the brethren, and to minister to you uh, in whatever way the Lord is leading us. Uh, we're excited right now at this time. Um, we're running a couple of uh, fundraisers that we are um, getting ready to create a brand new television platform, uh, internet television platform by the name of Messiah Media. We're looking to partner with many uh, ministries. In fact, we already have over 20 ministries signed up with us. You can punch into your internet browser, messiah.media, and you can see some of the infos There, what we're trying to build basically is a YouTube for messianic teachings where many teachings from many different ministries are available to watch for free all in one place. And uh, we're very excited and think this is going to be a great thing that's going to minister to the people. You can make a donation on that website, messiah.media, specifically toward the building of that platform. And we're hoping to get that accomplished here in this first quarter. And we think it's going to be a great thing to uh, continue to build up the kingdom of the Lord. Also uh, coming up here very soon is uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. We're going to open up registration for that on March 1st. And so um, keep your uh, ear to the ground on uh, any of the announcements that are coming for the Feast of Tabernacles. We're looking forward to another great year uh, celebrating in Chandler, Oklahoma. You can go to tabernaclesevent.com and you can uh, plan uh, ahead and start uh, plan to join us there uh, in October. We also have event registrations open as well for Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, and also Camp Yeshua, our Messianic Youth Summer Camp. Uh, You can go to shavuotevent.com for the event there and also to campyeshua.com to register your youth for our amazing summer youth camp that we'll be holding in August. We appreciate everyone who's a part of this ministry and all the ways that you can join in and be a part of this ministry. If at any time that you are blessed by any of the services that uh, we're here uh, ministering to you, you can always go to llgive.com. If the Lord would stir in your heart to make a donation, either a one-time donation or sign up as one of our monthly donors, we greatly appreciate it and we hope that we can continue uh, to serve the Lord, serve His kingdom, glorifying His name and ministering to you in all the ways that the Lord is leading us. We thank you for being a part of this ministry and a part of this broadcast each and every week. And uh, we love hearing from you guys as well, all of the uh, words of encouragement and uh, thank you notes and things. All of those things minister to us to continue to do this work each and every week and each and every day that we're here to serve the Lord. Well, now let us, uh, for this, now that our week is coming to a close, now let us set apart this week from the Sabbath with the Kiddush and the family blessings. Shabbat Shalom. We're the Judah family, and welcome to our home. Please join us as we usher in the Sabbath. <laughs>
1: blessed are you o lord our god king of the universe who has sanctified us by your commandments and has commanded us to be a light unto the nations and has given us yeshua the messiah the light of the world amen
0: now the kiddish the blessing over the cup Baruch atah Adonai
2: Eloheinu melech Borei
0: Amen Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Now the chamotzi, the blessing over the bread. Chamotzi lechem min
2: haaretz we give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song to together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch Atarunai Eloheinu Melech Haolam HaMotzi Lechem Min
0: Amen. Blessed art Thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Shabbat
2: shalom. Shabbat shalom.
0: Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michomocha. MI
2: CHAMOHA BA'ELIM ADONAI MI CHAMOHA NEDAR BA'CHUDESH NORATECH ILOT None else. You are awesome in praise. Do in wonders, O Lord, who is like you, O Lord.
0: Amen. And now the blessing of the Messiah. B'ruchat Arunai El Hanu Melech Olam Asher Natan Lanu Et Derech HaYeshua b'Mashiach Yeshua. Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the Universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Veshamru. Veshemu vene Israel et Hashabat, la sot et hashabbat la drotam berit olam, bene of Yom, bene Israel, ot hit le olam, kesheshet yamim asarunai, et Hashmaim, viet haretz, vayom hashavi, Shabbat, V'inafash. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from his work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema, if you'd all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema
2: Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Baruch Shem Kivod Malchuto Leolam. Yeshua HaMashiach, Hu Adonai.
0: Hero O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the V'yachavta.
2: Vehafta et Adonai ochecha, bechol levavcha uf nashicha, uvachol meodecha.
0: Vaheu, Hadevarim, Haale Ashir Nahime Zavcha, Hayom Alevavecha, Vashinantam La Venecha, Vedepada Bam, Peshivtacha, Bayetacha, Uvlachtica, V Vederech Ushakpika, Uv Kumika, Ucheshatam La Ota Yadecha, Vaheyu, La Totovolt Binanecha, Ucheta Mamzuzo, Betecha, Uvisharecha, altogether And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen.
3: don't see your face to my soul
1: Urva Aronai Me'urushalayim Barukh Shem HaTan Torah Torah Barukh Shem HaTan Torah Torah Le'amo.
4: Shabbat Please join us for the reading of Parashat Beshadach. Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, Elohim did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For Elohim said, The people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence Elohim led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. And the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. Moshe took the bones of Yosef with him, For he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, Elohim will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. Then they set out from Sukkot and camped at Etam on the edge of the wilderness. Adonai was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Chapter 14. Now Adonai spoke to Moshe, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before pi between Migdol and the sea. You shall camp in front of Baal-Zephon, opposite it, by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the sons of Israel, They are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am Adonai. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people, and they said, What is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made his chariot ready and took his people with him, and he took six hundred select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all them. Aronai hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. Then the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them camping by the sea beside pi in front of Baal-tephon. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened, so the sons of Israel cried out to Aronai. Then they said to Moshe. Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moshe said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of Adonai, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. Adonai will fight for you while you keep silent. Then Adonai said to Moshe, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. As for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, though his chariots and through his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am Adonai when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. The angel of Elohim, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and there was the cloud along with the darkness, Yet it gave light at night. Thus, the one did not come near the other all night. Then Moshe stretched out his hand over the sea, and Adonai swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right and on their left. Then the Egyptians took up the pursuit, and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen went in after them into the midst of the sea. At the morning watch, Adonai looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve, and he made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, Let us flee from Israel, for Adonai is fighting for them against the Egyptians. Then Adonai said to Moshe, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots and their horsemen. So Moshe stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak while the Egyptians were fleeing right into it. Then Aronai overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them. Not even one of them remained. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus Aronai saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Yisrael saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Yisrael saw the great power which Adonai had used against the Egyptians, the people feared Adonai, and they believed in Adonai and his servant Moshe. Chapter 15. Then Moshe and the sons of Israel sang this song to Adonai and said, I will sing to Adonai, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. Adonai is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my Elohim, and I will praise him. My father's Elohim, and I will extol him. Adonai is a warrior. Adonai is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea, and the choicest of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep covers them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Adonai, is majestic in power. Your right hand, Adonai, shatters the enemy. And in the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger, and it consumes them as chaff. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up. The flowing water stood up like a heap. The deeps were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be gratified against them. I will draw out my sword, my hand will destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among the Elohim? Adonai. Who is like you, majestic in holiness? Awesome in praises, working wonders. You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them to your holy habitation. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. The leaders of Moab trembling grips them. All the inhabitants of Kena'an have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. By the greatness of your arm, they are motionless as stone. Until your people pass over, Adonai, until the people pass over whom you purchased, you will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. The place, Adonai, which you have made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, Adonai, which your hands have established. Adonai shall reign forever. And ever for the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea and Adonai brought back the waters of the sea on them. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. Miriam, the prophetess, Aharon's sister, took the timbrel in her hand and all the women went out with her with timbrels and with dancing. And Miriam answered them, sing to Adonai, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider, he is hurled into the sea. Then Moshe led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moshe, saying, What shall we drink? Then he cried out to Adonai, and Adonai showed him a tree and threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. There he made for them a statute and a regulation, and there he tested them. And he said, If you will give earnest heed to the voice of Adonai your Elohim, and do what is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, Adonai, am your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy date palms, and they camped there beside the waters. Chapter 16. Then they set out from Elim. And all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after the departure from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moshe and Aharon in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by Hadonai's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then Adonai said to Moshe, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether or not they will walk in my instruction. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moshe and Aharon said to all the sons of Israel, At evening you will know that Adonai has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of Adonai. For he hears your grumblings against Adonai. And what are we that you grumble against us? Moshe said, This will happen when Adonai gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to fill in the morning. For Adonai hears your grumblings which you grumble against him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us but against Adonai. Then Moshe said to Aharon, Say to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, Come near before Adonai, for he has heard your grumblings. It came about as Aharon spoke to the whole congregation of the sons of Israel. that They looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of Adonai appeared in the cloud. And Adonai spoke to Moshe saying, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them saying, at twilight you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And you shall know that I am Adonai your Elohim. So it came about at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness, there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moshe said to them, It is the bread which Adonai has given you to eat. This is what Adonai has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. You shall take an omer apiece." according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. The sons of Israel did so, and some gathered as much and some little. When they measured it out with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. Moshe said to them, Let no man leave any of it until morning. But they did not listen to Moshe, and some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul. And Moshe was angry with them. They gathered it morning by morning, every man as much as he should eat. But when the sun grew hot, it would melt. Now on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. When all the leaders of the congregation came to Moshe and told him, and he said to them, This is what Adonai meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, a holy Sabbath to Adonai. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning, as Moshe had ordered, and it did not become foul, nor was there any worm in it. Moshe said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to Adonai. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. It came about on the seventh day that some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Then Adonai said to Moshe, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? See, Adonai has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Remain every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The house of Israel named it Manah. For, and it was like coriander seed, white. And its taste was like wafers with honey. Then Moshe said, This is what Adonai has commanded. Let an omerful of it be kept throughout your generations that they may see the bread that I feed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moshe said to Aharon, Take a jar and put an omerful of manna in it and place it before Adonai to be kept throughout your generations. As Adonai commanded Moshe, so Aharon placed it before the testimony to be kept. The sons of Israel ate the manna forty years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is a tenth of an ephah. Chapter 17. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of Sin, according to the command of Adonai, and camped at Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moshe and said, Give us water, that we may drink. And Moshe said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test Adonai? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moshe and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moshe cried out to Adonai, saying, What shall I do to this people? A little more, and they will stone me. Then Adonai said to Moshe, Pass before the people, and take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horev, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moshe did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Masah in Merivah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel, and because they tested Adonai, saying, Is Adonai among us or not? Then Amalek came and fought against Yisrael at Rephidim. So Moshe said to Yehoshua, Choose men for us and go out, fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of Elohim in my hand. Yehoshua did as Moshe told him and fought against Amalek. And Moshe, Aharon, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moshe held his hand up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moshe's hands were heavy. Then they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aharon and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Jehoshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then Adonai said to Moshe, Write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Yehoshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moshe built an altar and named it Adonai is my banner. And he said, Adonai has sworn, Adonai will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. Thank you for joining us for the reading of Parashah Beshalach. This parashah starts off in chapter 13, and the very first words that we read, are that Elohim did not allow the children of Israel to go to the promised land by the way of the Philistines. The reason that is given is so that they wouldn't have an easy path of return. You see, what has been gained in ease is also easily lost. We're familiar with the phrase easy come, easy go. They, didn't, they weren't allowed to go the easy way, the quick way they would have made it to the land of Canaan in less than a week if they'd have gone by the way of the Philistines, which was a wide, broad route. It was a trade route that was used commonly between the land of Canaan and the land of Egypt. Had they traveled that path, they would have gotten there quickly with no problems. But that wasn't the plan. Instead, Adonai chose to direct them by the way of the wilderness. It also says in the very next verse, in verse 18 of chapter 13, that it was Elohim that led them. It wasn't Moshe that led them. It's often that we see uh, references in Scripture and in our language, in our vernacular, that we say that Moses is the one that led the children of Israel. But it's very clear here that Elohim was the one that was doing the leading. In fact, it's further elucidated in verses 21 and 22 where it says specifically that they were led by the cloud, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of uh, fire by night. It was these things that was leading the children of Israel, not Moshe. Moshe was simply following that direction. Then as we move through chapter 14, we see that once again, for the last time in verse 4, Adonai hardens Pharaoh's heart. This causes Pharaoh to then pursue the children of Israel. And of course, as he gathers his army and that army chases after the children of Israel, in verse 10, we see that the children of Israel lifted up their eyes. And the people became very greatly afraid. See, in order for them to become afraid in the first place, it first was preceded by them lifting their eyes. In other words, they took their eyes off of the pillar of cloud that was leading them. They took their eyes off of Elohim who was going before them in order to look back and look at what was coming after them. Then what happens, of course, we see in the next several verses that they are overtaken by fear. Fear, which leads to whining and complaining. Fear is always going to lead to whining and complaining. However, what we see is Moshe responds immediately. Al-tirah! Fear not! We see that in Bereshit chapter 15, verse 1, The very first time that this phrase, al tirah" is used is when Adonai approaches Avraham and he says to him, al tirah, do not fear, Avraham. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. So in this phrase, in in this instance where Adonai is speaking directly to Avraham, he says, do not be afraid. I am your shield. In the same way that we see in this parasha, this is played out. Don't fear, al Moshe says, because Adonai is our shield. And then Moshe says something incredible right there in the Hebrew. He says, Urehu et Yeshua Adonai. See the salvation, the Yeshua of Adonai. Stand by and see the salvation of Adonai. What an incredible statement, because here we have the word Yeshua being used In direct usage of delivering the children of Israel from their enemies, from their bondage, from their slavery, from all things that would come against their freedom, Yeshua is intimately involved with their freedom. And then it says, Stay still because Adonai fights for you. We have this lesson that we can learn from this parasha we must ask ourselves the questions, what do we do when we encounter something that makes us fearful? Our formidable enemy is behind us, an impassable situation before us, just like the children of Israel. They were up against the Red Sea, and they were behind a a set of mountains in which there was one pass that the army could go through. They were trapped, an army behind them, a sea, an impassable sea before them. When we're faced with those kind of situations, something that's impassable seemingly in front of us, something that is on our heels, threatening to overtake us behind us, do we give up, throw ourselves into the sea? Do we surrender to our enemy? Or do we attempt to fight a losing battle by confronting our enemy? You see, it said in verse 18, at the beginning of this parasha, that Israel went out in martial array. They were prepared for war, it would seem. And yet, Moshe tells them, Stand still. Don't fear. Adonai will fight on your behalf. Stand by and see the salvation of Adonai. Do we bury our heads in the sand and hope it all goes away? Deny that anything is a problem? These are all different things, different ways that we can react to these kinds of circumstances. But ultimately, we need to recognize that when we find ourselves in situations like the children of Israel did, that we should take the words of Moshe as our advice. Don't take your eyes off the cloud. Don't take your eyes off of him. Don't take your eyes off of the angel of Elohim that was there for them, leading them, guiding them. Don't take your eyes off of the one who's leading you, the one who promised to be a shield. Be still. Be still. That doesn't mean bury your head in the sand. That doesn't mean be passive. It means wait for Him and watch Him as you stand by and see the Yeshua, the salvation of Adonai. And He will make His name known through all the earth. Shabbat shalom.
5: Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. All right. If you would turn in your Bibles, uh, please go to the book of Judges to chapter 4. And our portion that goes along with the uh, that Ephraim just shared with us from the Torah portion is this passage that begins at chapter 4 and verse 4 for it. Now, just to everybody will get the connection so we understand why is this passage is Why has it been selected to be a parallel passage to go with the passage from the Torah? Uh, Just to remind everybody, the passage from the Torah told us about the children of Israel making their way out of Egypt, coming to the Red Sea, Pharaoh's chariots coming after them to do battle with them. God opens the sea up. Uh, The people go across on dry land. They escape from uh, Egypt. Literally, that's the salvation uh, of the children of Israel at that point from the Egyptians and their chariots and their army, and then the chariots come in, the waters close, and uh, there's a great victory. Uh, Pharaoh's chariots are destroyed, and as a result, on the other side, why there's a great song of deliverance that is sung uh, called the Song of Moses, and so Ephraim went into and shared with us that basic story, the crossing of the Red Sea. Um, it's one of the most powerful Uh, Miracles that we have described for us in the scriptures. Very powerful story. It's literally the salvation of the whole nation of Israel and the birth uh, of the nation because from that point forward, God will begin to organize the children of Israel into leadership, take them to the mountain, will give them the Torah, begin to train and teach them to be his people. Now this passage uh, is right off the bat is a parallel passage because We're in the time of the Judges. And just to remind everybody about this is after Joshua and the sons of Israel who crossed the Jordan came in and 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 the conquest of the land. There was many battles, and they conquered the inhabitants of the land. And you can read all about that in the book of Joshua. And now this is the book of Judges, and this is the time frame of what happened to the tribes, what happened to Israel, living in the land after Joshua uh, had passed. And if you read through this, there's a whole series of stories uh, because at that point, there's like no central element uh, to the different tribes. The tribes are in their tribal lands, uh, and there's still a lot of uh, Gentile neighbors Uh, There's still Canaanites and Hittites and Hivites and Jebusites and all these people that they had had the conquest of the land, but there's still remnant elements of those folks um, still existing in and around all of the promised land, what we call the land of Israel today, And, and at the edges, the Moabites are still around, you know, and things. And every once in a while, and in fact that's what the book of Judges is telling us about, That every once in a while the children of Israel in some of the tribes in different regions, they would fall prey to assimilating with those peoples too much. They would take on their idols instead of sticking with the Lord. They would forget the Lord and then troubles would come uh, to them. And when troubles would come, it would various elements, they would mount up their army and these little city kings and, and that had armies and so forth, they would go rampaging over and would, hassling all the tribes of Israel and it was, it was trouble. And essentially what this story is telling us about is kind of leads up to there came a particular time. When uh, that the only thing that we ever had close to any kind of leadership at a at a national level is suddenly we have this lady who appears. Her name is Deborah, and she is living in the hill country of the tribal lands of Ephraim, and so various people would be coming to her, seeking her for counsel, and that's kind of the hub. Uh, if you will, of kind of what's going on with Israel, trying to keep track of what's all the different things, all the conflicts that are going on and things like that. And the book of Judges is how did God continue to raise up uh, these people to be judges, to be leaders, to be counsel to the various tribes through this period of time before we get to the time of Samuel the prophet and the kings before we ever got to King Saul. What's, what's going on with Israel during that time frame? Well, there's this one Canaanite king that lives up in the northern areas of uh, the city where he's at is Hazor. It's a very famous city, ancient city. In fact, you can go to the ruins, ruins when you're visiting Israel. You can go to the ruins of Hazor, uh, you know, and actually see this great Canaanite city. And uh, he began to harass uh, some of the elements of the northern tribes. And so there comes a time when Deborah, and she's actually called a prophetess at this point, where Deborah is given a word from the Lord that she is to call for uh, a, a, a general by the name of Barak, uh, Barak, and to bring his forces and that they're going to deal with this this king up there. And his commander, the commander of his forces, is a guy named Sisera. And what this commander had done, very spectacular, and this is the reason why the story ties into our Torah portion, he apparently had put together a core of some 900 chariots besides other foot troops and and so forth, 900 chariots. But these chariots were very special. They were made out of iron. So they were very heavy, very rugged chariots. And by the way, um, if you have ever studied anything about chariot warfare, um, there were two great theories about how to build chariots in those days uh, as a fighting force. One was, well, let's keep it real lightweight so the horse doesn't have to pull that much and, and we can go real fast. But they would get into combat, and it was very easy to knock these chariots over. And by the way, if they made fast turns, the chariots would capsize and, and so forth. And then the new theory was, let's build a chariot that is heavy, that's very stable, that won't tip over, that, that is, it gives a firm basis. And so it's, a, it's the first technology we have where we're trying to make a tank. So he made chariots of iron Now, in that technology in that day, it's like, you know, he had 900 tanks, you know, to do warfare with. And so it was a very awesome military unit. And he was harassing Israel, but the Lord gave Deborah a plan on how to deal with this. Essentially, the plan was very simple. Was that the, the children of Israel, and they collected soldiers from different uh, tribes up there, the northern tribes? They were going to go to a mountain called Mount Tabor. Now, let me give you, I don't have a map for you, but I'm going to, in your mind's eye, let me kind of draw you the northern part of Israel. Uh, up here on, on the, the coast, the Mediterranean coast, is um, a Haifa today. And that's where Mount Carmel is at. That's where Elijah the prophet operated. And then stretching in a southeasterly direction is a large valley. It's called the Valley of Jezreel. At the bottom of this valley is a place called Armageddon. And so this is the gathering place for Armageddon okay, that we hear about in the book of Revelation. At the far end of this, down to the south, is a place called Beit Shon, which is at the start of the Jordan River Valley. So you have up here at the Mediterranean coast, this big valley stretches across the north, and then you're in the Jordan River area, Jordan River Valley, where you go down. Now, at the top of this valley is a mountain called Mount Tavor, Mount Tavor, if you recall from the New Testament, this is the Mount of Transfiguration. This is where Yeshua went with his disciples up, and they all saw him standing with Moses and Elijah, you know, together, and saw them speaking, okay? The disciples saw that. So Mount Tabor is called the Mount of Transfiguration, and this valley is this huge open area. Now, if you were to go to Israel today, this valley, when you get to see it from any one of those locations, you can see it from up at Haifa, you can see it at Armageddon, you can be at, or excuse me, at Mount Tabor, you can be down at Armageddon, or you can be all the way over the Jordan. You'll see this valley, and it's a very expansive, flat area. It is a tremendous agricultural area. And in fact, uh, in Israel, That's where they grow the bulk of their grains, wheat fields and um, other kinds of things like that. It's a huge valley that has many farms and so forth. Beautiful, fertile ground. There's just a couple of little uh, creeks and so forth that go through it. It's just pretty much everything kind of channels the moisture into it from all the different mountains and it's a great area to grow grain Um, There and but it's also a very flat place, and it's an ideal place to have combat with chariots. And part of the reason why that region of the land has been so important strategically is because it will big armies can come and do battle with each other. Napoleon, when he saw this, he said all the armies of the world could assemble in this one area and fight it out. And it is a very large and expansive. And, of course, the book of Revelation says it's the gathering place for the militaries for the battle of Armageddon. It's the gathering place for it. Now, so here uh, Deborah gets this word from the Lord and says to Barak, says we got to get Sisera and the forces that are against us with his big chariots, his iron chariots, The Lord has told me, let's take our forces and get on the high ground of Mount Tabor. Let's get on this mountain. And let's let Sisera come down from his location to do battle with us. Now, he's going to say to himself, this is the ideal place to do battle. Okay? Big open ground. I've got my chariots. You guys come out there in the field. I don't care how many thousands of guys you got. My forces will outmaneuver you. I will defeat you. you know, so, and he gets sucked into this battle plant. However, the part that he didn't know about that the Lord set up was the Lord brought sufficient moisture into that area that these big heavy iron chariots, <laughs> they rolled into that valley, start getting ready to do battle. And the next thing you know, those big heavy chariots, they're sunk to the axles in mud. And by the way, if you've ever been a farmer uh, and if you've ever worked the harvest, one of the things that you know about when you go in to work the harvest, just get, you know, a half an inch of rain. I mean, just get a little bit of rain and you walk out and that ground that is ideal for growing grain. And so you will sink. You take a tractor in there, it'll sink combine in there, it sinks. We'll take a heavy iron chariot and guess what happens to it? It sinks. Well, if you have a whole bunch of chariots that are now stuck in the mud and can't move, they are not a fighting force anymore. They are at the mercy of of the other forces. Well, guess what happened in this battle? He got sucked in there, rode his chariots in there at a wild rampage, getting ready to attack them, got sunk to their axles, And the children of Israel scored a great victory. And with a much smaller force, defeated a greater force because they took away their main armament, their main battle force from it, completely destroyed their battle plan on how to fight. And there was a great victory uh, for the children of Israel. Well, as a result of this great victory over this enemy that had many chariots, uh, they proceeded to write this incredible song. And just like the story of uh, Moses coming across with the children of Israel from the Red Sea, and they have a song of Moses, you know, the horse and rider he's thrown into the sea, that famous song, in chapter 5, which is included in our portion. And if you'll notice in your Bible uh, how the indentation changes uh, on the text, it's indicating to you that this is poetry, that, it, that in the Hebrew language, if you read it uh, in the Hebrew It's a poetic verse. Well, this is actually the lyrics to a very long song. And it's basically telling the story about how um, Sisera was defeated. How his chariots were defeated, how he, he was actually killed. By the way, in this story, Sisera and his forces were so overrun that Sisera, the general for the Canaanite general had to flee personally by himself. He had to actually escape from the rest of his soldiers. I mean, his life was, they were pursuing him. And he went to another place, a city, that he thought would be safe for him. He was greeted, he was received uh, by this lady at this place, and he convinced her to hide him to cover him up with these rugs and so forth so he could sleep and rest because he had been fleeing and so that uh, nobody could capture him and so forth. Well, she had enough wits about it as a woman. She kind of knew what was going on. She knew what the political situation was. She knew what Cicero uh, had been doing to all the different people. She wasn't necessarily in agreement with that. I think she was actually very happy the children of Israel were defeating him. And so she welcomes him in, assures him that he's going to be fine, and proceeds to bed him down so he can sleep. And after he goes to sleep, she comes in with a tent peg and a hammer. And she puts that tent peg there by the, by, he's laying on the side, puts it there at the temple of his head and goes, clunk, and puts that tent peg right through his brain, right into the thing where he's at, and he's dead. Then she goes outside and waits for the children of Israel to show up. Hey, I got something for you. <laughs> and they come in, and there's, there's the victory. Now, the, the irony of this is, and, and, and it's not uh, uh, lost at all here, is uh, God used two women to utterly defeat a very powerful army and its leader. Two women were used by God to accomplish much. Now, the reason why this really stands out to us and the reason why uh, this gets paired together with the story of crossing the Red Sea, part of it has to do with after the children of Israel were delivered by God with the Red Sea. Who is credited with celebrating and generating the song and the worship of God with this great victory? It's Miriam. It's the sister of Moses. It's not Moses or a guy that says, oh, let's worship the Lord. It's a woman. A woman is the one who's made, motivated to Let's worship the Lord. Let's celebrate a great victory here. And so Miriam is the one who took tambourines and all the ladies and they began to dance. Well, we in the Messianic movement, stop and think about this for a moment. Who's the ones taking the tambourines and who's the ones getting up and dancing at our worship services? It's the women. And, and I will tell you, as a Messianic teacher man, that is very important to have that element in our fellowships. And it dates, actually dates back to these ancient stories that that really great victories, you know, in God, the ones where the whole community truly enjoys. Now, yes, it involves men, okay, but it also involves women. Women have a role in these great victories. And I'm not trying to uh, do a big thing here about, you know, uh, taking on... Um, um, you know, fatherly traditions or trying to elevate women uh, more, and I'm not trying to be feminist or anything. I'm just telling you this is a fact. This is the way God sees us. A, a man and a woman are seen by God as joint heirs in the grace of life, that the marriage of a man and a woman are seen as a unit, as one. And what God would like to see as the community of Israel is that, that we all become one. We become a single unit. It's, it's individual tribes come together. But it's all the elements of the tribes. And here God uses, to the, demale, to the dismay of every chauvinist pig there is, God used this woman, Deborah. You know, I remember as, as a kid this story, this biblical story, being a good Baptist, uh, they really struggled with this story. You know, women are not supposed to speak in the church. I mean, why did God do that? You know, that, that kind of thing. Um, and and what I'm trying to really say here is, is that, you know, God is not hung up with the stuff that we're hung up with, okay? And we get really hung up over gender issues, which is nonsense, um, Uh, We are all created by God. We're spiritual creatures. I I recognize there's some differences between men and women. Thank God there are those differences, I might add. Uh, It works, by the way, better that way. Uh, But God doesn't have some sort of social, political, gender problem with this. Um, Instead, he's looking at the whole, the benefit of all of Israel. Now, every guy gets smart, you know, in his marriage, realizes that his wife is truly a counterpart to him, is a real partner with him, and he doesn't lord it over her. If he's smart, he he will figure this out. But yet at the same time, he recognizes there's certain roles and responsibilities I have that's slightly different from her. And oh, by the way, God can turn right around and use her in a very special and significant way to, to have a role too. There's nothing stopping him from doing that. And a wise man will recognize what God's doing and, and, and he doesn't lay his artificial set of rules on something. He'll allow God to do what God wants to do. In my particular case, I'll just briefly tell you my testimony. While I, a lot of people recognize, hey, it's, you know, it's Monte Judah that did this line of land ministries thing. Hey, I got news for you. Yeah, I was there. I did a lot of things. But I'm telling you, my partner... My wife, Lynn, had tremendous responsibilities, and there was great tasks that she accomplished that had she not done them, I wouldn't have been able to do a blessed thing. Um, And by the way, she was doing that stuff before we had computers doing it. And keeping track of all that stuff and, and so forth that we needed to do. And was was uh, administratively uh, undergirded and supported what the Lord was doing in my life. G- gave me the support foundation. You know, she has the spiritual gift of administration. And God's used her very powerfully in Lionel and Ministries. And anybody that gets around here and finds out about what this organization is about, you, they learn real quick how important she is uh, to be a part of what things are. Um, and... Honestly, um, I never had a problem with her assuming such a powerful role uh, in the ministry because I remembered this story. I remembered the contribution of Miriam. I remembered the contribution of Deborah. That a great victory came as a result of God working through Deborah to give the right counsel uh, and to set up the tactics for a strategic win against a very famed enemy. And another woman in another propitious place, you know, puts the crowning touch on it and kills the general personally. I mean, if you'd have told that story in advance and said, oh, this is what God will do, you'd go, what? God wouldn't do anything like that. He did. And by the way, this chapter 5 I should tell you about this particular piece of literature. I'm not going to read all the way through it. It's, it's a song. Um, this is the largest and considered to be the most eloquent in the Hebrew language, the most eloquent lyrical song in the entire Bible. That this song is a very impressive song with regard from the Hebrew point of view. Now, this is in competition with the whole book of Psalms, the original Song of Moses. This is the accolade that is placed on how this song tells the story, tells the great story. It essentially repeats, you know, all the things that are going on with it. Um, I'm going to refer to, as I conclude here, I want to refer to the Hertz Humash uh, that on this Passage with this Hof tour that I've been giving. There's a concluding uh, comment that's made here, which is um, has become a a real principle of wisdom that comes from this whole thing. And I want to share this last item. This is from the sages of Israel. This is their conclusion of this whole matter. All that was involved, Deborah being involved, the other woman being involved, the, the music here, the great victory, the battle, the strategic goals, what, what was accomplished, and so forth. And they, um, they have this final comment on, on our whole portion where it says, and this is from the Hertz Humash, page 287. If you have one of those, you can look it up. Uh, the rabbis base the following teaching on this verse. Whosoever does not persecute them that persecute him, whosoever that takes an offense in silence, he who does good for its own sake, he who is cheerful under his sufferings, they are the friends of God. And of them, Scripture says, they that love him shall be as the sun when he goes forth in his might. That's a verse from the song that the meaning of this verse, they that love him shall be as the sun when he goes forth in his might. They say what that verse is really trying to espouse is when you, as a believer, are offended, but you remain silent. You could have retaliated. When someone does wrong to you, persecutes you, and you take the offense and you remain in silence with it. You kind of, if I could use a more guttural, you kind of suck it up. Yeah, okay. You just get internally tough. And, and basically you take the thing, I, I don't care what you're, what you're trying to do to me, um, you know, I, I can outlast you. And I don't have to retaliate against you. Um, the reason why I thought that was so interesting is because we are living today in a time in our country where if somebody offends somebody, somebody's got to retaliate. Somebody's got to pop off back at them. And early in my ministry, one of the things that I learned very quickly, and I'm glad that I did learn it very quickly, was that I have a lot of critics and the Lord just basically said was turn around, leave them in the dust and go do good. Just don't, don't worry about what they say. Don't worry about how they offend you. Don't worry about the false things they say about you. Don't worry about them being vicious and hostile and offensive. Just, just ignore it. Just press on doing what I want you to do. And basically the analogy says when you do that, you become the might of the sunshine. (laughs) The sun is a pretty powerful thing. Just walk out there without your sunglasses on you. (laughs) It's a pretty powerful thing. You know, let your light so shine that God is then praised because of you. And that person is called, according to this, the friend of God. The friend of God. What, what a nice title. Wouldn't you like to have that on your spiritual resume when you have to go to give an account to the Lord? Oh, you were known as the friend of God. That would, that would be good. That would be very good. That's part of the spiritual lessons that we have that come out of this uh, particular Haftor portion as it ties back in to the Torah portion. Shabbat shalom.
0: Shabbat shalom. If you would, please now turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians to chapter 10. You can hold your finger there where our Brit Hadashaw portion for this week will begin. And let us turn this time over to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, once again for this time and this opportunity to dig into your word, to be encouraged, to be strengthened by all, the, all of your words have to speak into us. Father, Your Word is life. It's like bread that we eat that nourishes us and water that we drink that satisfies us, Lord. And so, Father, we thank You, Lord, for the opportunity each and every week to dig into Your Scriptures, the Word of the God that comes alive each and every week and every time that we study it. Father, we thank You for this time, this opportunity, once again on this Sabbath day. We thank You in Yeshua's name. Amen. So our Torah portion this week, entitled Beshalach, which there's quite a bit of things that are in our Torah portion here. The story by which, of course, the children of Israel have left Egypt And that it is Pharaoh, once again, has a change of heart and decides to, he realizes what he's done, goes to chase down the children of Israel. But then, of course, we have the amazing story of the children of Israel being delivered by the Lord by passing through the Red Sea. We know the story. We've seen the movies. We have the visual picture in our mind of the children of Israel escaping Egypt and the waters closing in on the Egyptians and that suddenly the children of Israel now were finally free. Well, the story obviously doesn't stop there. There's many other instructions and stories that come with our Torah portion, not only the crossing of the Red Sea. In our portion, we also have the talking about the, the song of Moses, the rejoiceful, uh, the rejoicing song that the children of Israel sang after being delivered by, via the Red Sea. We also have the stories of the first bits of need that the children of Israel had after crossing the Red Sea and now being in the wilderness, where they were seeking water. And we have the story by which they had to the journey in the wilderness looking for, uh, uh, for water, not being able to find it, except for one spring at a place called Marah that had bitter waters and that the, almost the, one of the first miracles of being in the wilderness. And Moses, he takes this branch of a tree, puts it in the water, and the waters become sweet and they can partake of those waters as well. We also have the story by which uh, the children of Israel are hungry. And the Lord then provides them with food. He provides them with quail and then also provides them with bread, manna from heaven that comes, falls on the ground every single uh, single day for them to gather that bread. We have the story of the water from the rock, the first time the rock being struck and water coming forth. We also have a battle with the Amalekites. There's a great number of things that happen in our Torah portion for this week. And so we can home in on, on any one of those particular things and teach about those and what they mean to our spiritual lives. Now, with our Brit Hadashah portion, of course, what I endeavor to do is to go into the New Testament Scriptures and draw out some of those same principles, those same teachings, those parallels of what happened to the children of Israel in our Torah portion, and then teach them from the New Testament perspective. Well, sometimes that's easier said than done uh, that when, it's, when you're trying to either teach that principle or... Sometimes the New Testament also actually references exactly what was going on. And so here beginning in 1 Corinthians at chapter 10, this is actually a passage that many of us are familiar with because this is a story and a passage that we are to teach about what happened to the children of Israel, especially anybody that's ever kept the Passover, who follow a Passover Haggadah, that there's instructions in our scripture basically to teach our children What happened to us? What happened to us, the children of Israel, going through, being delivered from Egypt, passing through the sea? For those of us that are Messianic, this passage is very particular to the idea of identifying with the children of Israel, identifying with being the people of God. Now, there's many Christian believers today that are not Jews. They don't have a physical descendancy to the children of Israel And so they didn't grow up celebrating Passover seder as if they were, if they grew up in a Jewish home. But this passage has become paramount to those of us in the Messianic faith when it comes to the teaching and the story of the crossing of the Red Sea and the deliverance from Egypt. Let me read this passage now in 1 Corinthians 10, first uh, 13 verses here, and you'll start to see the direct parallel to the stories of our Torah portion uh, for this week already. "...moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them God was not well pleased." for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Let me stop there for now. Here we're directly referencing what happened to the children of Israel and that Paul is speaking here to the people of Corinth and giving them a warning specifically as to say, look, we all did these things. We all experienced these things, but we now need to remember the history of what happened to the children of Israel in the wilderness. Now, in the stories of our Torah portions, obviously we haven't gotten far enough along to know all of the sins and the mistakes that the children of Israel experienced in the wilderness, for those that know the stories, heard the teachings, or been in the Messianic movement and in a Torah teaching in the cycle for at least one year, we know what happened to that generation that passed through the Red Sea, that escaped Egypt. They, many of them, fell in the wilderness. Many of them failed to realize the power of God and what God was doing to deliver them They ate bread from heaven. They drank water from a rock. Miraculous things that were performed for them by Moses, through Moses, by the Lord, and that they didn't realize the profundity of what they were doing. And their bodies were scattered and fell in the wilderness. Now, this is the lesson that we take out of this passage, and we go and we look to to all of us here in modern times, messianic movement, and that we are to teach our children that we experience those things. And we also teach about the mixed multitude. We teach about how it's not just about those that were physical, physical descendants of Israel that experienced these things, that were with the children of Israel, going into the wilderness, crossing through the Red Sea. And so we have to uh, basically emphasize that it's like, do not be unaware that all our fathers, as Paul is saying here, All were under the cloud. Remember the pillar of cloud by day that led them in the wilderness? Our Torah portion just described that right after they left Egypt, they went to a place called Athom, and that was the first place that the pillar of cloud by day, fire by night, is told to us in the Scripture that it appeared. This is when God showed Himself, put an actual physical sign in front of them to say, God is here, God is the one who's leading us leading us into the wilderness because when that cloud got up and it moved, the people moved. And so if that cloud was moving kind of fast, have people needed to move kind of fast because the cloud knew where they were going and where they needed to be by that particular night or nightfall. However, that might, may have worked. And so the, uh, Paul here is speaking about how all the fathers, all of our, our ancestors were led by this cloud, baptized unto the cloud, as it actually says. And they were baptized in the sea. See, that's what the other thing too is when you're talking about the crossing of the Red Sea, the waters being parted and the children of Israel passing through the sea. There is not a single Bible teacher worth their salt that, that ever denies the idea or the, the parallel that the crossing of the Red Sea, the children of Israel passing through the sea was similar to a baptism, a mikvah, a, a cleansing, a rebirth of the children of Israel had their own life before of being in Egypt, being slaves, and now they pass through the sea and they were born again. They were born of the salty seas of of almost like going through a baptism and their new life was on the other side of that water reservoir. In the same way we teach all Bible-believing Christians, somebody comes into faith, that you have become a believer and you are baptized, you are born again. And that's, of course, what Paul's referencing it here, saying all were baptized in the sea. And that's exactly what was going on here. Now, if you're talking about other uh, New Testament scriptures that we could talk about, we could talk about baptism. We could talk about uh, John the Baptist. We could talk about the testimony of Yeshua the first time he was baptized. Well, any time that the Messiah referenced water, passing through the water, the changing of water, all of that points back to the Egyptian exodus. We already pointed out uh, in in previous weeks that the water was turned to blood, just like the Messiah performed the miracle of water turning into wine. And that now this idea of the waters being under the control of God, because that's what happened with the blast of God's nostril. He opened the the part of the sea and God had power over the seas, the wind, the, 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 the weather and then suddenly when the children of Israel pass through the Egyptians come in god then closes the water and calms the water when it is necessary so even the story of yeshua walking on the water calming the seas all of those of course have para- parallels to the crossing of the red sea the thing i want to home in on with this particular passage however is this is the understanding that paul is teaching the people of his time the first century to identify with the people of the ancient Near East, the ancient Israelites, and going into the wilderness. This is paramount to our faith to identify with Israel, with the children of Israel. If we don't understand that, then how can we call ourselves the people of God? How can we how can we listen to the words of the Messiah, Yeshua, the words of the prophets, all of those things that they're teaching us because those, all those words, they first came to the people of the children of Israel who had experienced these things. That was their history. Now, the whole idea is that doesn't mean that, because, well, if you're not a natural descendant of Israel, then I guess you can't identify because you can't say that your fathers or your ancestors were in the Exodus. No, we're actually not supposed to under, to teach that or, or, or emphasize that in any way, shape, or form because if we're a part of God and if I've done anything in, in time that I've had opportunities to teach the Torah and share word, my heart is always to the idea that physical descendancy doesn't matter and that we all are to be adopted into the family of God. Well, the family of God includes Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, uh, Judah, all the 12 tribes, the people of Israel... And so we have to, as believers in God, identify with those people. They are our family. It's as if we were there and we have to learn from the things that they did and the things that they experienced. doesn't matter if it's naturally your ancestor or your, or you're a descendant from them, but if you're a part of the family of God, then you have to identify with them. Paul knew this in the first century. We too have to know this in modern times as well, and that's what... Many teachers emphasize those in the Messianic movement to teach the people to understand. You are a part of Israel. You did these things. You experienced these things. Now, I love how Paul is identifying the connection of the Messiah to what the children of Israel experienced in the wilderness. There's many times that that, that many teachers and I'll... Um, uh, friend of mine, Eddie Chumney, has some great messages on how Yeshua is the lawgiver, and he identifies and, and proves how Yeshua was the one that was in the burning bush. Yeshua was the one that was on Mount Sinai giving the Torah, giving the commandments, and that Yeshua is the lawgiver and was with the children of Israel there in the wilderness. Paul is also pointing out this idea that the rock by which the life-sustaining water came from was the Messiah. You've heard the term, of course, the rock of my salvation. That is the whole idea of that. I believe you me, if you're uh, dying of thirst and there's a rock and suddenly that rock springs forth water, that rock is the rock of your salvation. Well, he's identifying the rock that the water came from in the wilderness as being the Messiah, being with them, which the Messiah himself identified this with, which says, you know, proclaim your faith in him and out of rivers of living water that he out of him, he's a drink, that if you drink of him, you'll never be thirsty again. And it's like that's exactly what you need if you are dying of thirst, if you're needing something to drink, you need to look to the Messiah for that salvation. I also love it that Moses, what he said to the children of Israel, what God told him to say to the children of Israel before, when the when the Egyptians were bearing down on them about to cross the sea, he says, stand still and see the salvation of God. See the Yeshua of God there's a connection to the Messiah being the one that sustained their life in the wilderness and that idea that concept is not lost on the Apostle Paul. now there's some theories out there when it says that the rock followed them. there's some people there, there's some rabbis and some opinions that the rock that actually produced the water, that somehow that rock actually traveled with them in the wilderness. Now, I'm not going to get into all the theories of how that might be or what that's like, and, and we, we I've mentioned it previously in the past. Rather than focusing on what somehow some other supernatural miracle that may have happened with the Israelites, rather than focusing on that, let us identify what Paul is trying to teach us for our personal spiritual walks in this. Let me continue on right there because he was starting to get into something that we need to understand, that we need to learn from the experience of the children of Israel in the wilderness. Where he said at verse 5, he said, but most of them... God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Verse 6, let me continue on in 1 Corinthians 10. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. That was the story of Phineas, that we're familiar with from the scripture. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples that they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There is great spiritual lesson and counsel in these words of Paul. That first of all, you have the, all the examples and the mistakes of the children of Israel in the wilderness that are to be an example to us for, to follow. We have the cheat sheet. We see what they experience. This is not the first time that this has happened. When you're talking about God delivering somebody out of the world, us Bible-believing Christians who have a testimony of New Testament faith in the Messiah, we've been delivered out of the world from the slavery of sin and death to abundant life with the Lord, and that this same pattern and example has already happened before with the children of Israel being delivered from Egypt being delivered from the slavery of bondage in Egypt. Yet there are pitfalls. There are mistakes. Even the people of God fall into all of these things. They become complainers. They become sexually immoral. They, they lust after things. They test the Lord. And they come, uh, on all of these things. And judgments befell them, the people of God, that God has a, uh, we have a testimony of God saving them, yet these things still befell them. We must take to heart all the lessons of what the children of Israel experienced so that we don't make the same mistake, so that we ourselves don't become complainers. This is why we teach Torah. This is why I and many other teachers in this ministry for 25 years plus have been committed to teaching the Torah and identifying the mistakes the children of Israel made so that we ourselves don't make those same mistakes. Paul knew this. This is what Paul is teaching. That teaching is, was as good for the first century as it is for us today to identify that's why we study Torah. That's why when Yeshua is talking about how we don't understand his words unless we understand Moses' words, that means we need to know what Moses was talking about. We need to know those stories, forwards and back, backwards and front, so that we know what we, how to not make that same mistake the children of Israel made. And that's what he is teaching us. Now, one of the last verses that I read, though, has been misquoted left and right by many people of faith in the Lord for thousands of years. That to the part where it's talking about that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Now, we have, many of us have sort of misquoted this verse in the sense that we say, oh, well, God's never going to give you something you can't handle. And we always sort of, we we, we present that to a number of people where it's like, man, I'm really struggling with this in my life and this or whatever. And it's like, it's really hard. And it's like, oh, don't worry, you can handle it because God doesn't give you anything that you can't handle. It's not talking about giving us hardships that this verse is talking about. It's talking about that temptation. Remember that temptation is this weird thing, man, that when it gets presented in front of you, you then have the choice. And it's hard to make the right choice sometimes because of temptation. And it says right there that He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Uh, but, and then it continues on, and it says this, But with the temptation will you will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Let me tell you something. The children of Israel in the wilderness fell into Temptation. And they failed. Now, their failure is to be our admonition, our teaching, so that we ourselves don't fail. But somebody did fail at that temptation. When it comes to us and when temptation is put in front of us, you know what? Sometimes we fall into that temptation and we commit sin because of that temptation. Sometimes the sin causes great problems in our lives, great hurt, great harm, and can basically make you think that you destroyed your life because of certain mistakes and certain sins that we've made. Does that mean that God gave you a temptation that you weren't able to overcome? That, that te- there, the, there it was, the temptation, and you fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. Does that mean that the Scripture is untrue? That, wait, God, God gave me a temptation that I wasn't, I wasn't able to say no to. Does that mean that God doesn't exist or these words are untrue or that I'm not really a believer? No, you, you, you're not reading into the words. Or it, Let me clarify what I believe the words to mean is this, is that if you fall into that sin and that temptation, what it is is it's for you to learn from and then make the right decision, maybe at another point. Remember it said that the temptation will be the way of escape so that you'll be able to bear it. Sometimes, You know what? Every temptation... I don't think something can be defined as a temptation unless somebody has fallen for it in the past. That's the nature of a temptation. If nobody has ever fallen for the trick, have fallen for a trick, or fooled by a trick, then it's not really a trick now, is it? The whole idea of a temptation is that somebody is going to fall prey to it. The idea is to learn from that mistake. Sometimes you yourself are the one that falls to it. But it creates the way to escape from it, either for you at a later date or for somebody else who has the opportunity to observe your mistake. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be any temptations that are that that, that are too hard to bear. No, the, the, and temptations will come and we will fall for them, guaranteed. The what we're supposed to learn is how to not make that same mistake again and how to learn from it. For either for our benefit or for the benefit of somebody else. It's not that God won't give you something you can't handle. No, there's going to be sometimes somebody can't handle it. What it is our job, though, is to learn from it. That's what Paul is teaching here. And that is the wrap-up of the whole idea of why we study the Word of God, what the children of Israel experienced in the wilderness. Now... Children of Israel, they experience many things in the wilderness. In our Torah portion, we have the basic needs of being in the wilderness, such as food and water is presented to us here in, the, in our story, in our Torah portion. Yeshua, of course, being the ultimate example and the ultimate satisfaction to those needs. Because it was the Messiah Himself that said, He was a piece of bread, you eat of Him, you'll never be hungry again. A piece of uh, drink that you drink that you'll never be thirsty again. In fact, if you move ahead one chapter in 1 Corinthians, the institution of the Lord's Supper is described for us by Paul that I want to focus on some of these things as well because this directly relates to the idea of the children of Israel needing bread to eat, needing water to drink so that they might live. If you go to 1 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 22, it says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, "...that the Lord Yeshua, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, at which he had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me." In the same manner, he took the cup after the supper. And he said, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this, do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me." For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. This idea of God and the Messiah satisfying our needs, being something to eat, being something to drink, because honestly, that's the first thing that is going to get in our way at any point in time in life is be like, man, I wish we could just study the word day in, day out, every hour, every minute. And so let's do it. Let's go on a marathon studying the word. And so you start doing it and you start praying and you're with your brethren and you start midrashing. But after a couple of hours, you know what's going to happen? Somebody's stomach's going to go, and so somebody's going to get hungry. And we're going to need some water. and we're gonna, And then you almost realize, look, our needs also have to be met. Our needs, we need food, we need water. We, we can't just do that or do one thing for the rest of our life. It's like, no, the, the first thing that's going to come up is somebody's going to get hungry and we need to take a pause. We need to take a break. God knows this. God knows this about us. And so the idea for us to look to the Lord to meet all of our needs to be, that we focus on Him and that what God provides to us in eternal life is a piece of bread that will never be hungry again. What a great day that will be. Now, does that mean that when you're in that Bible study and you're ready for a marathon prayer session and somebody starts to get hungry and they're like, nope, Yeshua meets our needs. Don't worry about food. We're just going to keep going. Well, people can fast for a very long time and you'd be able to survive for, for a while, a good long while. But ultimately, we still live in a world that we need food. We need something to drink. I don't believe that Yeshua is always, whenever He said this about Himself and about being this, the satisfaction to us to meet those needs, was not necessarily that those physical needs are just going to disappear and we're no longer going to physically ever be hungry or ever need to eat anything ever again. What the Messiah is focusing on is something spiritual in nature, spiritual, that we are to look beyond our physicality. I think about it this, when Yeshua said that we are to die unto ourselves, that we're supposed to know that there is more to life than just food and drink. You know, that's what gets people in the door. Remember, Yeshua ministered to to thousands of people and got them in the door by multiplying fishes and loaves and gave everybody a free lunch. That got them in the door. Then they showed up the next time and they were like, hey, where's the food? The whole goal is not to feed the people physically. The whole idea and what the whole ministry of the Messiah was to feed them spiritually. And that's what we have to learn. And that's another thing that we can learn from the children of Israel. Look, the, God met their needs physically. God is fully able to meet our needs physically. What we have to do is we have to examine ourselves and to see, well, what, what's going on with us internal or spiritually? What is it that we really need to work on, what we really need to focus on? Well, let me continue on here in 1 Corinthians 11, now at verse 27, talking about examining yourself before you partake of the Messiah. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, as so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. But if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I set in order when I come. This whole idea of examining yourself, do not eat of these things, partake in these things in an unworthy manner. Meaning, if you have malice in your heart, in your spirit wickedness in your life. These are things that you need to clean up before you partake with the Lord so that judgment doesn't befall you. Everybody wants to eat a piece of bread and never be hungry again. Everybody wants to drink a drink and never be thirsty again. But before you get to that point, you've got to do that self-examination, that spiritual examination. What's in your heart? What's in your mind before you partake in those things? And that's what the Lord is trying... What I, what really, the, the teaching I see is this. It's not about physical bread and physical drink. It's about spiritual nourishment, spiritual satisfaction, and, and, and quenching what you need in your life spiritually, which is the Spirit of God. You need God's love, His, His peace, His, His goodness inside you. That's what you need to be fed spiritually, His Word needs to be speak, speak life into you. Scripture says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. That every breath that you breathe, the, the ruach uh, that you... the, the air that, that, sat, that keeps us alive, that sustains us, all of those things all come from the mouth of the Lord. And that it's a spiritual need that we have before us, not a physical need. If you would now turn with me to Revelation chapter 15... The children of Israel, after they were satisfied and saved from uh, the Egyptians, they rejoiced before the Lord. There's another parallel, and I mentioned that they sang a song to the Lord, uh, proclaiming how mighty and great that He is, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. The focus, obviously, after that miracle took place is, of course, on the Lord. It's on the Lord that, that, that He was the one that saved them. He, by His almighty strength, and they rejoiced before Him. Well, they sang a song. Well, here in Revelation uh, chapter 15, we have another parallel to our portion here, where we have a song that those that are saved will sing, and there's almost like new verses that are given to us by the rejoicing and singing to the Lord. Revelation 15, beginning in verse 1, says this, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven uh, angels having the seven last plagues, and in them the wrath of God complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb, saying, great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. This is the rejoicing that we are to focus on the Lord and His deliverance and what He has done for us. Like I said before, this is a spiritual need that we have. When God physically delivers us from all of these things, maybe then we finally will realize that, that God has satisfied our physical needs and then we'll focus on rejoicing before Him. What I want to be uh, as a believer before the Lord, I want to be one that worships Him and focuses and recognizes that this is a spiritual issue rather than seeing that something, some physical evidence has to be proven to me that God's deliverance is true and that His power is great. Remember doubting Thomas? He wouldn't believe that the Messiah, until he felt the scars in his hand and the, and the piercing on his side, that then he believed until he had the physical sign. But blessed are those who believe without the physical evidence. Some will need to have the physical evidence. All, all our physical needs are met when saved, and, and food, and be satisfied before we believe. Let us be the ones that believe and rejoice before the Lord, before knowing and recognizing the spiritual need. And once again, we have more words here in Revelation, more verses to the song we'll be singing, and it'll be a time of rejoicing when the Lord saves us all, singing songs before the Lord, just as they sang on the, on the opposite shores of the Red Sea after being delivered, and that here in Revelation, speaking of the last generation, we too will be singing songs, great songs of deliverance uh, at the end of the age. One of the, one of the last passages I want to talk about here is, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is, uh, there's a very specific uh, reference to our Torah portion here, and it's, it has to do with the uh, portion about the manna. But like I said before, the children of Israel, they received the manna, the bread from heaven, and that there were some very specific instructions about this bread from heaven that the children of Israel were to obey. When it came to them uh, gathering the manna, so to meet their physical needs, it always said that take what you need for the day, don't take any more, don't take in abundance, But, of course, there was another miracle associated with that. If you took more, if you tried to keep and save some manna left over for the next day, it was rotted, infested with worms, and couldn't be eaten if you chose to uh, do that and keep some of that. And that's one of the ten ways the children of Israel tested the Lord in the wilderness, by keeping this manna left over. And it specifically said that each one was to take just what they needed. If you needed a lot, gather much. If you only needed a little, gather a little. And then we were always satisfied with what we needed and what was gathered. Now, the same sort of principle in a quote from our Torah portion is taught to us again here in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Let me read here now at 2 Corinthians 8, uh, beginning at verse 8. It says this, "...I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others." For you know the grace of our Lord, Yeshua Messiah, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you through His poverty might become rich. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it. That that as there was readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased uh, and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack." that their abundance may also supply your lack, and there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. There's another great teaching that can be drawn out of this, in the idea that we should always focus on what our specific needs are and that when there is an abundance of something that we might have, that we are looking for those that are in need to give them, to lift them up, so that then at the time in which we are in need and somebody else has an abundance, that we all can, can equally share the burden and, be, and receive the blessings of what we need, whether some needs more or less or whatever it might be. I love the, this whole idea that this sort of wraps up the, some of the idea of what I was talking about here, about believing in God, worshiping Him, knowing that we're, it's a spiritual battle that we're fighting before having the physical evidence of it. Hear what I said there, or what, what Paul said, where it says, for there is first a willing mind that it's accepted according to what one has, that we have so much knowledge, so much understanding of Scripture that we choose to believe in God, perhaps even before all of our physical needs are met or before every possible exhausted piece of evidence that God is all-powerful, God is all-great, because we'll have that evidence at the end of the age when He delivers us with great miracles, but that we believe... All from from the get-go, we believe in the beginning that we know that our deliverance will come, that God will meet our needs, that God will bless us, that God will save us. Because like he said, a willing heart is accepted for what one has, not according to what one what someone doesn't have. See what if we always focus on what hasn't come yet, if we always focus on what God has not yet done, then our focus obviously is not upon what God has already, what He already has done by blessing us, by by the life that we have, by the people that we know, by by the miracles that we've already witnessed. But if some of us sit around and all we do is focus on, well, you know what? The Lord hasn't delivered us out of this terrible world yet. Or, uh, you know, the Lord hasn't blessed me financially yet that it's all like, I, I believe that the Lord was going to give me a whole lot of finances that was going to make it make so that I have no needs, but I am not blessed that way yet, and I'm just still, and that's what I'm waiting on. Well, you know what? How willing of a heart do you have to follow and truly believe in God if all you're focusing on is what you do not have? The willing heart focuses on what they already do have. That it's not about just uh, having a desire to be a believer in God, but it's also about the completion of it. That it's like that, that, that those things will come later. But who are you now in this place, in this time? This should be an encouragement to all people. The, and, and this is a message that is really going on the forefront to fight uh, people that are depressed or have anxiety or people that are always so concerned about what they don't have. The fear of what's still to come, or, or, or wondering when the Lord is going to come back. When is the Lord going to perform great miracles and judgments and signs again? And when am I going to see the physical evidence of God's power, that He truly is ruler over all this earth, while we still have physical kings and, and rulers and, and, and still a world with corruption and sin and all of these things? If we focus truly on the physical evidences before us, some people will draw the conclusion and some people have walked away from the faith because they look around the world and they say, you know what, look at all this terrible destruction and disease and, and, and the, the sins that are committed and the atrocities of, of abortions and, and, and the sin just running rampant in this world. If you focus on those things alone, you're going to fall away from the faith faster than anything. Because it's like God, where's your power? I'm waiting. I'm waiting for this evidence, and it's not there yet. But a willing heart to follow the Lord is satisfied first by what you already do have, by the blessings of what God has already done, what God is, what God still is to do. And see, that's what the children of Israel lost sight of in the, in Egypt or in the wilderness after leaving Egypt all these miracles that have already taken place, but then they sit here and they complain and they say, we're hungry, where's the food? Or we're thirsty, where's the water? And they just grumbled and complained. And that was the mistake they made at every juncture of the wilderness when people complained is that they did not have the willing heart beforehand recognizing what God has already done, being satisfied with what God has already given to them, And all their focus was waiting on the next, what's the next meal we're going to get? I have this other need. When is that need going to get met? This is the journey of the children of Israel going into the wilderness. And we know what's going to happen. You you can read it a, a thousand times. The ending's still the same. That generation passes away in the wilderness because they grumbled, because they complained. Are we going to learn from those mistakes? Are we going to be the generation that does not grumble, does not complain, does not beg for the physical evidence and the physical needs to be met before we'll believe that God is with us? When there's a pillar already sitting there right there in the camp, when we've already been delivered from, from, from sin and death and, what, and the life we used to have, we've already seen that miracle. I would hope that should be enough for us to believe in God, to follow Him in the wilderness, but for some, we need more evidence. But that's, of course, the mistake and the pitfall the children of Israel fell into that Paul was telling us, as I said before, it's to be our admonition. They already fell into those temptations. Why are we going to make the same mistakes? May I commend us, or um, not commend, may I encourage us to not make those mistakes. May we learn from those mistakes, from those temptations that already befell the children of Israel so that we do not fall in the wilderness the same way that we, they did. May we be a generation that walks into the promised land and that learned the mistakes of the old, read the Word, knew the Word of God because it was our, lead, our guidance that led us through the wilderness and through all the challenges that we faced in our life. That's the story of our life. As a believer, walk according to the word of the Lord. Do not make the mistakes. Don't fall. Don't sin. Don't fall to the temptations. Temptations will come, and everyone has the capability of falling from it. Don't, don't, don't fall for the lie that, oh, the, the temptation's going to come, but God's not going to give me anything I can't handle. I'm just like, no, it'll handle you if you let it. It will. And then it can be, you can be somebody's lesson for somebody else. Let us not make those mistakes. Let us learn from the Word and the instruction as we continue on our journey as spiritual believers before the Lord, just as the children of Israel are beginning their journey into the wilderness. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for this time, this opportunity, for this portion of Scripture. And Father, may we be encouraged and strengthened in our spiritual walk. As we go through the wilderness of our lives that we uh, struggle with from time to time, temptations befall us left and right, Father. May you give us the strength and the power to overcome those temptations, to learn from the pitfalls and the mistakes of old that others have fallen for, Lord. And Father, may we walk uprightly before you. May we keep our focus on you and your word. May we understand, Lord, that this is not a physical battle that we face, but a spiritual battle that you are fighting for us, Lord. May we rejoice always in your strength and your power for you are almighty God, Lord, who overcame all of these things, Lord. And you yourself sent the Messiah, Lord, who overcame all temptations, Lord, your son, to be an example for us to follow. May we learn from your word and your instruction and from these examples, Lord, so that we can be the people of God, Lord, the people that sees the kingdom. Make us your hands and feet, Lord, to bring your kingdom to this earth. We love you, bless you, and thank you. It's in your Son, Yeshua, that we pray. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.
1: e ka panav elecha ve'asem lecha lecha. bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. The depths of the earth are in His hands and the mountain peaks are His. The depths of the earth are in His hands and the mountain peaks are His is the sea for he made it, by his hands it formed dry land. His is the sea for he made it, by his hands it formed dry land. The Lord our maker, worship and bow down. Kneel before the Lord our maker, worship and bow down. Kneel before the Lord our maker, come and worship and bow down. Kneel before the Lord our maker.
3: Thank you for joining us this broadcast is made possible by the lord and the donations of brethren like yourself if you would like to give a donation to help keep this broadcast on the air please visit llgive.com thank you and shalom